Well, this morning uh, we enter the home stretch of First uh, Peter. If you are new to with us uh, this morning, we've been uh, spending a couple of months or more uh, working our way through this magnificent letter of First Peter. And we're approaching a text today uh, that causes us to reflect on the role of the pastor and the role of the elder. And a little awkward in a sense that uh, I preach a sermon to you, but it really is back to me. Um, but I don't mean to be forward at all in talking about a role that's dear to my heart, because it is my life uh, and the life of, of the eldership of this church. Uh, this is a passage that deals with the role of the shepherd pastor, but also in relationship to the flock of God, as uh, Peter terms it. It's a reference to a team of elders who oversee the congregation. And I would just say, first of all, that uh, both Norb and I feel quite privileged to be shepherds of the flock here at TCC. We have a staff that also shepherds the flock. And I love the way our staff uh, gets the opportunity to pray together on Wednesday as we look through the friendship books. And many of you have written a prayer request and we have the opportunity to see what that need is. And uh, we lift you up in prayer. We're grateful for a, a team of elders. Uh, Brad is our chair, as you've just uh, met here. And we're privileged to experience a wonderful sense of unity in our elder team. You know, when, when Mark and I uh, began the TCC journey with uh, uh, nine others uh, in the fall of 2002, I was saying to God, Lord, uh, here's the next block of time in my life. Uh, I dedicate it to you, whatever that uh, should be. And uh, I think that those other nine individuals did the very same thing. They were saying, here's the next season, here's the next block, and uh, we, we give our lives to you. And what a journey it's been. What a wonderful journey it has been. I've, I've always enjoyed pastoral ministry. And the two churches that Mark and I have uh, were privileged to serve prior to TCC were uh, wonderful churches. And God gave us so much joy in ministry. I also have to say that this season uh, with TCC has just been absolutely phenomenal. I enjoy every day. Uh, I have enjoyed the building project itself. People say, you okay? You enjoy the building project? I love it. It's never been a trial, but it's been energizing. I won't say without its challenges, but uh, it, it is, uh, it's a wonderful project to be involved in together as a congregation. And I will admit it will be great to be finished. I think we all will. But grateful for the harmony and the joy of working together. And I love what God is doing here. I, uh, I love how Terwilliger Community Church understands ministry, gets it, understands community. And uh, uh, we will be very glad, as I say, to be in our new facility. But we know, again, that's not a bottom line, as, uh, as Brad just prayed. It's, it is a tool. It's a wonderful blessing. So we can keep doing what God has called us to do. And so we're working on finding a date uh, so the whole congregation can go through the building before it's finished. And that date now looks like June the 17th. It's nice, I think, to see it when it's all completed. But there is something wonderful about seeing it when it's not quite finished. 
And then you can kind of visualize the next step and the next step and the next step. We would have toured this facility uh, months ago as a congregation, but as you know, every construction firm is very safety conscious. And uh, that's why we just have not been able to do it earlier. Thanks for giving uh, so faithfully also. Uh, when you see the building uh, in a couple of weeks inside, you'll understand uh, how it takes uh, every shoulder to the wheel in order to make this happen. And there's joy in, in being part of what God is doing. So thank you for your, your part. We desire to give joyfully. My heart is, and I pray that this every day for our church family, that God would raise up faithful, generous, joyful stewards. That it's not something, oh yeah, we better. But it's just a joy to be part of, of serving God and giving to God in whatever capacity he lays upon your heart. Well, I digress a bit here this morning. Uh, how do I get back here? Charles Haddon Spurgeon died over a uh, hundred years ago. He actually died when he was 58 years of age. Uh, but he was really used for the glory of God as a pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England. Uh, he was called the uh, Prince of Preachers. And during his uh, years of ministry, God blessed their flock, and it grew. And they built a new church called the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and the congregation increased in size. I've read figures of it went to 10,000 people. I read another figure where it grew to 14,000 people. And remember, this is back in the 1800s. Remember, those were the days without sound systems. 10,000 people? Amazing. Ernest Lavoss, I can see him back here this morning. He, he is with us t today, just happens to be with us. He is a uh, professor of history at the Canadian University down in Lacombe. And uh, Ernest is a student of C.H. Spurgeon. He's a student of Jesus, but he's also a student of Spurgeon. And every year, and he'll be going on June the 19th, he'll go over to London, and he will study at the Metropolitan Tabernacle Seminary and uh, take a course and get in the library. I think he's probably read everything that Spurgeon has written. So welcome, uh, Ernest. Pretty close, eh? Um, Spurgeon was a prolific writer. Uh, he had plenty of criticism. But he was the kind of guy who didn't get a, let a lot of stuff get through to him. He was criticized because he loved to smoke a good cigar. Now for a Baptist. Back in the 1800s, no, no, no. His critics just railed at him for being a pastor and smoking a cigar. He simply said to them, don't let get your shirt in a knot. When I take this to an extreme, I will stop. Someone asked him, what is an extreme? And he said, two cigars in my mouth at the same time. <laughs> he had a terrific sense of humor and an amazing capacity to shepherd and to lead. He was given to uh, bouts of depression that made him very dependent on the Spirit of God. But God used him powerfully. And many people came to know Christ through his ministry. 
And he wrote these words in his lectures to my students, uh, the Bible college that he established. He said, it will be in vain for me to stock my library or organize societies or project schemes if I neglect the culture of myself. My own spirit, soul, and body are my nearest machinery for sacred service. My spiritual faculties and my inner life are the, my battle axe and weapons of war. Old language, but you know what he meant. Yes, the development of the inner life. The ordering of the private world, which is absolutely critical for leaders and for all of us. That's precisely what Peter wants to tell us in our text today. So let's just jump in. First, just a quick word about elders. Who are the elders? We have an elder team here at TCC. The New Testament churches were organized under the leadership of elders. First Timothy chapter 3. An elder model. It can be a little confusing when we use the various terms, such as elder, and then you might come across in the Bible the word bishop, and then you might read the word pastor and shepherd and the words elder and bishop refer to the same office. There was no distinction between them. One term was originally put there to denote office, and the other term denotes age. And both words were applied to the same persons in the congregation. Back when the apostles exercised direct oversight in the church, the office of elder, pastor, and overseer were synonymous. After the apostles departed, the office of senior overseeing elder developed to help stabilize church ministry and authority. And through the years, the role of a pastor in a full-time capacity developed. But really, it was an elder. So bishop was the office, elder was the age, but they were the same leadership person, including the word pastor. It's another title for the same office. When we say elder, of course, we usually think of older people. Uh, well, TCC happens to have younger elders because we're a younger church. Uh, but we have mature and godly uh, leaders, and we are so grateful for them, even though they are blessed to be younger. <laughs> there are some older elders whose names will remain anonymous. So when Peter writes to these congregations dispersed throughout Asia Minor, he's focusing on the leadership in chapter 5, and he is really challenging them to be strong, effective leaders in the midst of suffering and the fiery trial that will come their way. We talked about that last week, the fiery trial the persecution that was going to emanate out of Rome. There are two parts to what Peter says. One is the exhortation or the challenge directed towards the elder. And the second is how to go about being an effective elder. The exhortation is simply this. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be 
shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Let's just stop there for a moment. Notice the appeal comes as a fellow elder. Peter is saying, I'm also an elder. I'm also an overseer. And so I am one with you. He's on the same ministry team. And he wants to identify with them. But what I find striking here is that Peter doesn't hint at his own authority. He simply calls himself a fellow elder. Isn't that great? He doesn't say a word about apostleship here. He doesn't say, now listen, I've walked with Jesus myself for three years. I really know Jesus. And I'm coming to you in that authority. No. He says, I'm a fellow elder. What does that say about Peter? It says that he parked his pride at the door. He parked his pride at the door. It would have been easy for him to extol himself, but he didn't. The ministry is a wonderful place for the building of a proud life. That may sound strange for you to hear, but it really is a danger. I think pride is one of the tools that the enemy uses on people who are in upfront ministry. But upfront anything, upfront anything, whatever line of work you might be in, the enemy can whisper in your ear and get you believing your own press clippings. After all, we speak for God, right? We stand in front of a lot of people and we talk on a regular basis. We are trusted by a lot of people. We don't have a well-defined job description. Now, that could be a point of laziness for some and a point of trying to do too much for others. It's hard to know that scope. I think Peter could have played the look-at-me card, but he didn't. He parked pride at the door. And that's a good thing for every servant of God. Park your pride at the door. Because if you don't, you will be quickly humbled since the Lord has a way of doing that. And we're going to see that admonition later in this passage. It's a key emphasis. Actually, Norb, it's all yours for next week. I won't get to verse 5. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Friend, it's, it's true no matter where you live and operate. Pride prevents God from working powerfully in your life. Park your pride at the door in your own home, in your own career, in your own profession, in your own relationships. If you park pride at the door, you will be amazed at how much better things work, how much more smoothly things move along. The exhortation then is in verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Now, Peter chooses words quite carefully. Note that he says, be shepherds of God's flock. God's flock. The distinction is important so we keep things in perspective. It's never my flock or my church, but it is God's flock. And we are simply under shepherds. 
Our role is to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to help guide the people of the flock to follow him as Lord. Our role is to nudge. Our role is to encourage. Our role is to come alongside. Our role sometimes is to comfort. Our role is sometimes to prod, to move us in the direction that God would have us go. The verse could be translated more in the active verb sense. Shepherd, you shepherd the flock of God. You care for them. You shepherd them. The word for shepherd in the Greek language means to tend or to feed. To tend or to feed. Kind of descriptive words, aren't they? Elders are to tend and to feed the flock of God. Now, what does it mean to tend? What does it mean to feed? Look after them. Help them grow. Be there. Instruct. Teach. It's the precise word that Jesus used when restoring Peter. Remember after Peter's denial? Out on the north part of the country, up in Galilee? It's the very same word. After the resurrection, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, you, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. Tend my sheep. That was the commissioning of Peter by Christ for his special ministry of shepherding the flock of God. And you know, when you read that passage, is it John 21, that it was such a hard conversation for Peter. It was like grievous to him. But that was a special moment of commissioning. And Jesus knew that Peter was going to go on. Peter didn't know it yet. Jesus knew it. Peter was going to go on to be a gracious, humble leader in the church. And that he was. This is a challenging part of ministry, to be shepherds. Let me tell you, if there's any area where I feel like I keep falling short, it is in knowing what it means to be a shepherd. It is elusive. It is overwhelming. It, if you allow it to, you go to bed at night feeling, I wasn't there, and I wasn't there, and I wasn't there, and I wasn't there. And I missed opportunities to be a shepherd, to guide people. The job description is without limits. Part of what an elder has to do is to figure out what is doable and live with yourself. But apart from time and the struggle of wrapping our arms around 21st century needs, which are complex today, there is something else that needs to be underscored, and that is the heart of a shepherd, the heart of an elder, the heart of a bishop, whatever term you want to employ here. The heart of a shepherd is so important. I guess I would have to say bluntly, for those who are thinking of an elder or pastoral role, unless you have the heart of a shepherd, don't go into the pastorate. It will be frustrating to you and to others. And don't think of pastoring as a job because the heart of a shepherd is crucial. The role of a shepherd is kind of unique. It, in, it in, certainly includes teaching, but it's not the same thing as being a teacher. I'm looking over here at Sid. Sid, Sid we, we honored Sid at his retirement banquet last night. 
Sid, for 35 years, has had a teaching ministry here at Taylor Seminary. That is his gift. That is his strength. He has impacted so many people through his teaching ministry. Pastoring has that component, but it's not just a teaching ministry. It includes administration, but it's more than being an organizer. It includes a heart for reaching people for Christ, the community, evangelism. But it's more than that, and it's more than the preaching of the gospel. It's just kind of this unique role that combines teaching and preaching and organizing and leading and visioning and shepherding. And that's why through the years it's said of pastors, oh yeah, he, he was strong in teaching, but not so much in leadership. Or he was strong in administration, but not so much in preaching. Or he was excellent in pastoral care, but not very visionary. Not inclined towards... It is multifaceted. It's a unique role. I have to say, honestly, in the first year of ministry, I was deeply challenged to come to grips with the diversity of the role. I thought, just give me one aspect of this role and let me do it. And I no sooner started one project and I got bumped. A crisis, another project, bumped again, another hat, bumped again. And that was one of the most challenging things to get used to in the ministry. But the joy is walking with God and have him teach you and lead you as a shepherd. And Because he's our teacher and he is our guide and what a wonderful guide he is. And the joy of having people come alongside of you and encouraging you and praying for you and saying, I pray for you every day. Now, for a pastor, there's no greater gift you could give to a pastor than that. Just my little tip this morning. Pray for us. Shepherd the flock of God. Tend the flock. And when God has called you, and you know it, walk humbly with him and figure out how you best make it work. Give yourself some grace when you're weaker in some other areas of the role and stronger in others because that's the way it will be. Now, secondly, let's see what Peter says about how to carry forth the role of an elder or a pastor. How do we tend God's flock in God's way? Peter is primarily talking about our attitude in these next verses. Number one is a willing a willing heart. You'll notice here that Peter will give a negative descriptor and then he'll just turn around and he'll give a positive one. It's like he's saying, don't do this, but do this. Now here's the first one. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not Don't be a shepherd because you have to be, but because you want to be. It would not be a good idea to serve in the role of a shepherd and not want to be. Not want to be involved in tending the flock of God. A man was sleeping in on Sunday morning. and His wife came into the room and said, wake up, hubby. You need to get out of bed right now. And with his face buried in his pillow, he said, give me three good reasons why I should get out of bed. Well, she said, because one, because it's Sunday. And as Christians, we go to church on Sundays. He moaned. Second, because we only have 40 minutes until church starts and you haven't even showered. He moaned. Thirdly, because you're the pastor. You need to be there. 
Well, hopefully, we don't need to pull us out of bed in the morning to get to church. But you know, it does speak to us of shepherds who are on the verge of ministry burnout and do in reality have a hard time getting out of bed and getting to the pulpit and getting to the ministry of tending God's flock. I think back, there are about uh, 20 men and women who graduated from my graduating class in, uh, in seminary. Mark and I, we graduated together, actually. And uh, uh, we were just rehearsing that the other day. There's only a few of us that are still in the pastoral ministry. Some figured out this is not their area. Others uh, burned out. Some exploded. Some got discouraged. And just, there's just a, just, just a few from the class. I don't have a hard time saying this. This congregation is very encouraging, very supportive. I'm so pleased uh, in the way that you came alongside of Pastor Norb and Tina on Wednesday as we laid uh, Norb's mom to rest. It was an amazing funeral service. Church was packed to capacity. But it, it says something of your love and support for a fellow shepherd in this church. And I say thank you. Most of all, when you pray, ask God for wisdom, for discernment for us in knowing how to prioritize time, take care of ourselves so that we willingly serve, not under compulsion, but because we're willing. We're willing. Second, an enthusiastic heart. How should we serve? What should be our attitude? Peter writes, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. And the key word here, which is not written, but is implied, is that word motive. What's your motive? What is the motive for being a leader? What is the motive for serving as a pastor? Why do you do what you do? We have to stay aware of our motives. I think we have to keep checking them continually. Do we minister for the sake of some financial gain? Or do we minister because we love to do what we do? Are we concerned about what the flock can do for us? Are we more concerned about what we can do for the people of God? It's uh, incredible to be part of a congregation where, where you are incredibly generous and thoughtful. It's a reciprocal relationship. And uh, all through the years, I can think back all through the years, servant leaders in the church have guided the church to look after their pastor on a financial basis. It's never been an issue. People have always said, how can we come alongside of you? That's been, that's made it easy to minister. Most pastors I know, um, have their hearts in the right place in this whole area. But it's a good thing to say, to ask, why am I doing this? Is there some wrong motive attached? Peter says, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. And then I thought, well, how do you stay on the cutting edge of eagerness? How do you stay eager? Pastors, like any other profession, need to figure that out. Sometimes it means delegating. Do you wear yourself out because you are timid to ask for some help? 
And you just say, well, I'll just do that, and I'll just do that, and I'll just do that. And you're running after the details, and you wear yourself out. Yesterday, I don't know, Pastor, there must have had 50 volunteers at the carnival. We had uh, 800,000 people from our community come out yesterday. That takes a lot of people just to make that happen. And you're here this morning, and you were volunteering there uh, yesterday. But it's important to hand that off and to let others be part of it and, uh, and so that the shepherds can give the big picture. So we're not always laboriously working with the details that keep us from leading. Sometimes we just need to do details as well, but you get what I'm saying. And then do you take yourself too seriously? I remember years ago becoming quieter and quieter when I was with family and friends. I didn't really figure it out. And then I began to realize that I was absorbing too much of the pressure. And so I needed to laugh and I needed to do something to distract from the busyness of life. And sometimes we just need to laugh. Sometimes we need to get some rest. Sometimes we need to just loosen up. I don't ever plan on smoking two cigars at the same time, but that would be an extreme. But I sure love to golf. And Bob Humphreys, where's Bob, has, has asked me to do the Ironman's golf tournament on June 11th, I think it is, for Young Life. Absolutely. Might kill me. A hundred holes of golf in one day. Oh. Oh. I'm getting out there to practice before June 11th. But a challenge to keep from running at full throttle day after day after day. For, for all of us, it's important to take a vacation. It's important to take a break. And all of these things help in making you eager to serve. And these things apply to you too. You know that. And then finally, a trusting heart. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Kind of reminds you of the words of Jesus. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And the expression is a good one, servant leaders. Some say, well, how am I going to get authority in ministry? The answer is not by demanding it. The ability to lead is given by the process of being an example. Just model the truth and follow faithfully. Jesus was not, never an authoritarian with his disciples. He walked with them. He served with them. He came alongside of them. And so this is the challenge that Peter gives to his fellow elders who are serving in the various churches in the five provinces of Asia Minor. And good reminders for us all today. Like all of us leaders, uh, elders, all of us are on a journey. None of us have it all together. None of us have it all together. But we keep growing. We keep stretching. We keep moving forward. And these three reminders are worthy of consideration as we work together. A heart that's willing. A heart that's eager. And a heart that is trusting.